It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. That's some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. We're going south today to talk prospects from North Texas, TCU, and Oklahoma. We'll have those guests in just a moment, but first want to remind everybody that you can find Big Blue Kickoff Live and all the podcasts on our Giants Podcast Network on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank which you can find on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. All right, we're going to do a couple guests today, folks, with Oklahoma first, and we'll do our two North Texas teams at around 1230, but we're going to try to move through these prospects pretty quick, so we're going to definitely try to squeeze in your calls over the course of the next hour. Lance, good afternoon. You ready to rock? I'm ready to rock and roll, absolutely. All right, let's do it. To lead us off, we have Jason Kersey. He covers Oklahoma for The Athletic. Jason, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow up here, where I'm sure... Uh, it's much colder than it is down there, though we did hit around 70 today, so I'm not complaining. Hope you and yours are well in what's been a very, very strange last 14 months. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having me. No, it's, it's around 50 right now here, really? here in uh, Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah, it's around 50, so we got you colder beat. than where you are. We got you beat. <laughs> How about that? That never happens. You, you do. All right, Jason. You do. Uh, let's start rolling here through, through, through the prospects coming out of Oklahoma. And one guy that I, you know, maybe out of all the offensive linemen at the senior bowl, this guy impressed me the most just because he was most consistent. And that's Creed Humphrey, who was your starting center for a long time. And you just watch him and everything to me is just so technically sound and how he operates. Was that what it was like watching him as a starter down there in Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean Creed was a was a three year starter at center, which you know center um, on the Oklahoma uh, on any offensive line, but on the Oklahoma offensive line is extremely important. Um, it, it's uh, they, they're sort of the second quarterback of the offense almost, and um, he he did a great job. I mean he he uh, was a two time team captain. Um, you know they've many people have said that he's he's the best center OU's ever had, which you know they've had some pretty good ones through the years. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, he was very technically sound, uh, very strong, very also athletic. I mean, that's the thing I think that gets lost about him a little bit because of the way he was asked to play at OU. But, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, had a 30, 33-inch vertical jump at Pro Day and, and ran a decently fast 40 for an offensive lineman. So he, uh, when you look at the kind of interior defensive lineman he'll be up against in the NFL – you know, we talk about guys like Aaron Donald and and uh, and JJ Watt. Sometimes, I mean, he he seems equipped for that sort of thing um, because of his athleticism. So, yeah, I think that he's going to be a really good player in the NFL. Well, Jason, speaking of his athleticism and the fact that he's going to have to go up against the likes of guys like Aaron Donald that you just hit on, I was reading. I believe he's got a pretty impressive wrestling background. I'm curious, how much do you yeah. think that has helped him develop into the center that he is today? I think it helps a lot, and you know that—that's actually something I've explored a little bit in the past. I mean, there's a guy who's with the Ravens right now, Ben Powers, who was a uh, Oklahoma offensive lineman, and he was also a wrestler in high school, a, a really, really good wrestler in high school, like Creed Humphrey was, and um, I, I think that helps a ton. I mean, I, and I'm not sure um, that's something that a lot of people realize. I mean, wrestling can be hugely beneficial as an offensive or defensive lineman, and, and Creed Humphrey was very good at it when he was in high school. All right, and just very very briefly to wrap up Creed, he's a guy that I would imagine an NFL team should feel pretty comfortable if you're picking him late round one, early round two, that you should feel pretty secure just plugging and playing him right there and being pretty confident he, uh, he's going to know what he's doing, right? Yeah, I mean, he's very smart, uh, and, and I, I think that he will be someone who can play right away. And, you know, I, I also think that teams are, are looking at him maybe at guard, too. I mean, I think center is his main position, uh, and that's probably where he wants to play. But I think he could play guard if needed. I want to jump to the other notable prospect on the list of Oklahoma guys, and that's edge rusher Ronnie Perkins, who was unfortunately disrupted by a six-game suspension this past season for a failed drug test. But when he came back, 
he seemed to really make up for lost time. I think the most notable statistic, Jason, is 32 tackles for a loss in 33 games over the course of his career. So that does absolutely show some consistency. But how much of a concern, perhaps, is the character off the field issue given the drug suspension? Well, um, I, I guess that all depends on your perspective. Uh, in my opinion, it's not a big deal. It's marijuana. Um, that's basically legal in Oklahoma and in a lot of places. Um, uh, the NFL, I don't even know if they test for it anymore. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, I, I know they don't as much as they used to. It's just not that big a deal. The NCAA is behind the times on that. And so, um, you know, he failed. He The problem is in college there are multiple drug tests. There are some that you take that are administered by the school. And if you fail a drug test for marijuana at most schools, you're not even suspended for one game. But if you if you fail an NCAA drug test, which is what he did, then that's a six-game, automatic six-game suspension, and that's what happened to him. And um, so, I mean, it was, it's unfortunate. It, it's, you know, I, I would argue not right, but it happened. And so uh, I, I think that he's answered for that plenty. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked him about it. Uh, I think he's probably been asked about it a lot by NFL teams. But I can't imagine – you know, a, a, a single failed test for marijuana is going to change the way teams view him, given the way society views marijuana now. I just don't think that that's going to be a big deal. Now, as a player, he is an unbelievable player. I mean, he is fast. He is uh, physical. He's energetic. He He's kind of ruthless out there on the field. He's very, very hard uh, for people to block. And, and especially when he came back from that suspension, uh, it was one of the, my favorite quotes of last season. He described himself as a caged lion who, uh, who, who finally got, got to make up for some meals that he missed, which I thought was just a great quote. But, um, I mean, he was, he was a different player. I mean, he was a really good player his first two years at OU. But those last several games that he got last season, he was on another level. Yeah, and it's funny, watching him on tape, I'm with you. I was really impressed. I think he has the, the body type you're looking for, maybe maybe a little slender for a defensive end, but he seemed to have good length. He would attack the, the offensive tackles in a lot of different ways. So I was pretty surprised when he came out, and I thought his pro day, based on the way he played on the field and his play speed, I didn't think his numbers were quite as good as they were going to be. Did that take you a little bit surprised, too, that he didn't test a little bit better on his pro day? Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that, but um, I also think he's kind of one of those guys that, that is just a ball player, and I know that sounds sort of simple, but when he's on the field during a game, I mean, he's just a different guy, and I'm not sure measurables always catch that with guys sure. like him, but he um, he was, uh, you know, he, he's very interesting also because, like you said about his, his size, I mean, he... Where does he fit on an NFL roster? Is he is he a four three defensive end with his hand on the ground? Is he a stand up uh, edge rusher you know kind of guy? I mean, where does he fit? Where do teams see him fitting? Is he going to be able to to, to help in pass coverage? That's not something he was asked to do much at all at Oklahoma. Is that something he's going to be able to do? I mean, these are all questions I'm sure people are asking about him, and I think it's why it makes him so intriguing um, because he. I've seen some mock drafts that have him going in the first round, and then there are others that see him as a second or third round guy. Um, but I think he can be a really, really good NFL player. Uh, it's just about getting in the right system, and, and these teams figuring out how to use him. Well, speaking of how to use him, you brought up the key, obviously, getting after the quarterback coverage, maybe a question. What about in terms of stopping the run, Jason? How much did they ask him to do that, and what at all jumped out to you about perhaps his ability to pick up that aspect? That's a really good question. I mean, I think he's, all, he's always sort of been seen as maybe more of a pass rusher. That's sort of his, his bread and butter. But, I mean, when he was asked to help in the run, run game, I mean, he, he's a good tackler. Um, he, he's again tough, aggressive, all those things that you want. But maybe that's another area where he's going to need a little work, especially in the NFL. All right, I'm going to jump over to his teammate on defense, Trey Brown. And I thought watching him at the Senior Bowl that he was aggressive, he was physical, he was one of those guys that just kind of oozed confidence the way he lined up on some of these wide receivers and said, I'm going to take you man on man and I'm just going to go against you right now. I watched an interview with him, I believe it was on. 
NFL Network, if I recall. I don't remember, but I want to give it the right credit. I'm not going to. But he, he talked about his tape study and how he would you know study receivers and the routes they ran in certain situations to anticipate. And, and everything I've seen from and about Trey Brown has just been really impressive for me. Give me the thumbnail from you on Trey Brown, watching him during his career at Oklahoma. Yeah, Trey Brown had a really interesting career at OU because he's one of these guys that was, you know, for people who don't follow college football closely or, or follow Oklahoma maybe, um, the Oklahoma defense had quite the, uh, the, uh, the shift, the change in the last two or three years. I mean, when you look at, at what they were – in 2017, 2018, they were one of the worst defenses in college football. Now, they still got to the college football playoff because they had Tyler Murray and Baker Mayfield um, and C.D. Lamb and players like that, but um, Sterling Shepard, uh, guys like that. But uh, they, they were terrible on defense, and Trey Brown was a starter on, on, that, on those terrible defenses, and he was a starter on their really good defense last year. Uh, so he sort of improved as the team improved, as, as, that, as that culture changed. The thing about Trey Brown that stands out the most to me is his speed. Um, he is so fast. Uh, there are a couple of uh, moments in Big 12 championship games the last few years where he made these really unbelievable plays. Uh, two years ago in the Big 12 championship game, they played Baylor. And Baylor had this long pass that, that looked like it was going for a touchdown. If they'd scored it late in the game, Baylor might have won that game and won the Big 12 championship. Trey Brown tra- chased him down. It was, it was sort of like that DK Metcalf moment, I think, last year or the year before, whenever that was, when he chased the guy down. Everybody was just blown away by, by his closing speed. That's, that's kind of Trey Brown. He, he's, he's very, very fast. Um, now, his... You know, he had his problems in coverage through the years, but he seemed to get better at that uh, this last season. So uh, he's very interesting. I think that, you know, in the right with the right fit, he could be a really solid NFL player. Jason, I'm glad you brought up the coverage issues because I guess if there's anything that's a bit alarming to me when you look at his production, it's the 14 holding interference penalties over the last two years. That was according to yeah. Pro Football Reference. And then I want to read you an interesting quote because I'm curious your perspective. This was from NFL.com. A national scout from an AFC team said, quote, I see these coverage stats for him. It looks good until you realize how many of the incompletions are going to turn into penalties in the NFL, end quote. Curious from what you've seen in terms of maybe some of the coverage issues, how ultra-aggressive is he where he starts to walk that fine line of good coverage versus being a little bit too handsy? Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's that's another really good point that, that I probably should have brought up in that last answer. That that was a little bit of a problem for him. Um, and, and, you know, when you're going against Big 12, I mean, the Big 12 is a very offensive conference. There's a lot of really great receivers. And sometimes you got to do stuff like that just to, to prevent a touchdown. But when you're in the NFL, obviously, uh, it's up another level, and you can't do sure. things like that all the time. So um, that is another thing, certainly, that he's going to have to work on. I do think that got a little better last season, though. And I think that did show up a little bit the senior bowl, too. He was very physical on, on some of those uh, one-on-ones during practice. Let's go to Ramondre Stevenson, who I think is a really interesting player. So I'll just put it to you this way. Where does he fit in, do you think, in the NFL? You know, he's so big. He's 230 pounds. Can he play fullback? Is he? I know he's dropped weight, apparently. Is he going to be more of a, of a full-time tailback? Uh, just what does Ramondre Stevenson does, and how do you see that skill set fitting in in the NFL? I, I, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but 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 I'm going to say it. I think there's a very good chance he's the best NFL player of this class. Ooh, I think okay. The, I think I, Hot I I don't think he's going to get. I don't think he's going to get drafted very high. I don't think that uh, uh, he's he's necessarily going to be somebody a lot of people are thinking about. But the and the reason I say that is running backs. We all know um, have kind of a short shelf life sometimes, and this guy was, along with Ronnie Perkins, suspended for the same failed drug test for the same number of games. Um, so in, in a weird way, that almost works out in his benefit because he and, – and then the year before at Oklahoma, he was behind Trey Sermon, um, who transferred to Ohio State, and Kennedy Brooks. So he didn't get 
it's not like he got a ton of carries during his two years at Oklahoma. So only 165, by the way. Only 165 yeah. carries. You're right. Yeah, so he's a little bit fresh, but he is so good. Like, he is so good. When he came back, a lot like Ronnie Perkins, when he came back from that suspension, uh, he was on another level. I mean, you look at the numbers he put up over those final few games. Um, he became the the best player on their offense. Uh, he He's a tough physical runner, but he's also got some speed. Um, I don't know. I, I Again, I, I, I know that may seem hot takey, but – I, I really could see him being perhaps the best of this bunch, really, when, when it's all said. Hey, and, and by the way, Jason, that's why we like getting the beat reporters on that cover these guys, because you see him close up. You know, maybe Lance and I'll see some highlights. We'll watch him game film. But you've seen these guys up close, so that's the type of stuff we want. It's not a hot take. That's great, because you've seen every second of this guy's career, and Lance and I haven't. So I, I think that's fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. I, I, I really believe that he is going to be a good NFL running back. Um, and, and I think when you add in, and, that, and that's just from the skills and stuff, but when you add in the, the you know, tread that's still on his tires, if you will, he, he, I mean, this is a guy who could really be, be a good player in the NFL. Well, Jason, I think you bring up a great point in terms of the workload is not overwhelming at this point, so there's still plenty of gas in the tank if you want to word it that way. I'm curious, though, from what you've seen, because from what I've seen, I think it's fair to describe him as a north-south runner, but I'm always curious when people get labeled that way, is there potential for him to expand his skill set where you see him maybe being a little bit more shifty on the NFL level or even contributing as a receiver out of the backfield? Where do you see those facets of his game going? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's something I'm sure he's worked on uh, during this pre-draft process. Um, but, you know, what I would say is, you know, in, in six games last year, he Ramondre caught uh, 18 passes. I mean, he... He was a uh, he was a decently reliable target for for Oklahoma's quarterback Spencer Rattler. So um, I think he already has some of those pass catching skills. Um, it, 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 maybe that's something he's worked to develop. But in terms of the shiftiness and things, like I think you mentioned, he's he's maybe lost a little weight. I think that's something that that he's certainly worked on uh, the last few months. All right, who are the best of the rest here, Jason? Uh, I know Trey Norwood's a guy. Adrian Ely's a guy. Um, Every year we like to try to get from the, from the guys that have watched these programs, as I mentioned earlier, you see these teams close up. Who, besides the guys we've already talked about, who are the guys that are draft eligible for Oklahoma that people aren't talking about but they should be? Yeah, Adrian Ely is, is an interesting one. You know, he's, a, he's a two-year starter uh, at tackle. Um, you know, he, he's big, uh, tough guy. I, I, I think he's obviously not getting the attention Creed Humphrey is, but uh, I, I think that he's going to have a shot to, to be a pretty good player. Bill Biedenboe, the OU offensive line coach, has sent a lot of guys to the NFL. Um, you know, OU had four offensive linemen drafted a couple of years ago. I mean, th- this is a guy who comes from a really solid system. Um, so, so he's a guy to keep an eye on. And then you mentioned Trey Norwood. I'm, I am completely fascinated by Trey Norwood because he's a guy that basically started from his freshman year. He was a, sort of an under-recruited guy um, from Fort Smith, uh, Arkansas. And he came in and, and started as a freshman. He's played safety. He's played nickel. He's played corner. Uh, he's played all those positions. He's had his ups and downs, as everyone on the OU defense has. But when he and then he missed all of the I think 2019 season with an ACL tear, but you know when he got a, got back in the flow last year, he was one of the OU's best defensive players. And uh, I would, but even despite all of that, I was a little surprised he declared for the draft. I sort of thought he was going to come back um, for another year, and I felt like if he had come back for another year, maybe he could get into to you know a little bit maybe become a little bit uh, more of a guy people are talking about. Uh, but he's very, he's talented. He's smart. Um, he, 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 he's versatile. I mean, uh, I, I don't know that I, that I necessarily think he's going to become, you know, an all pro or anything, but I, I, I think he's got a shot. I really do. I'm very intrigued by where he lands and where they draft him because I could see him, you know, not getting drafted, but then making a roster and becoming a really good player. Uh, or maybe somebody takes a late-round flyer on him. But uh, Trey Norwood's an interesting one to watch. Jason, good stuff, my friend. We really appreciate the time. We'll catch up soon, and stay, stay safe out there. All right, pal? Thanks, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Great job out of Jason Kersey. He covers Oklahoma 
for The Athletic as Lance. We continue to go through our teams here. We're through most of the major ones now, Lance. We're kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty here as we go through these last couple weeks leading up to the draft. We are going to have um, from College Insider to talk about North Texas. They only have one prospect, and then TCU. Shahan Raja will be joining us in about nine minutes. But between now and then, folks, get on the line at 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960, and we'll try to squeeze in a couple calls before we have Shahan join us in about 10 minutes. So, Lance, uh, your takeaway from our Oklahoma guest. Well, the last guy that he was talking about, Trey Norwood, actually led the Big 12 in interceptions last season with five, and, and he returned one for a touchdown off Kyle Trask in the Cotton Bowl when they went up against Florida. So his point is well taken about him really impressing everybody, I think, in this 2020 season coming off of injury, and I'm just as intrigued as he is. Whenever you have a guy that barely played and all of a sudden comes out of the woodworks and does something like that, you wonder why didn't he stay in college to get a little bit more polish, or is there something that he's heard that is going to be intriguing to teams? So that's one of the guys at Oklahoma. I know we didn't spend a whole lot of time on him, but I'm with Jason. I think he's extremely intriguing. Ronnie Perkins is also one of those intriguing guys because, you know, once again, you, you talk about somebody that missed time, six-game suspension, did not play a whole lot this season because they didn't play a lot of games as it was, and then he misses half the season, but ten and a half tackles for a loss once he came back from the suspension, he pretty much had a tackle for a loss in every single game that he played, which is quite ridiculous and shows a lot of consistency. It's just a matter of, is he a tweener? Where does he fit in, as we were discussing? But I think this Oklahoma group... Overall, I think the best way to describe it, they're not a wow-me bunch where you per you turn on the film and you're like enamored by these guys, but if you can grab one of them in the later rounds, you may be pleasantly surprised in terms of what you can get out of these guys as they develop over the next few years. Yeah, Humphrey and Perkins to me lands both top 50 players. They should be gone in the first round and a half or so of this draft, and who knows, maybe one of those guys could be a target for the Giants at 42. It's possible. He mentioned Creed Humphrey could help at guard, and he obviously played center in college, and then Ronnie Perkins could be that edge rusher they're looking for, and then who knows, maybe if they're looking for a mid-round back, that can be a three-down backup to Saquon Barkley and gives you a little bit of a different style to Saquon, would Ramon J. Stevens make sense for the Giants in the mid-round? I think that's also something to keep an eye on. Hey, Giant fans, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the phones, Lance. Our first caller is on the line. Again, we'll try to squeeze in a couple here before we have our next guest at 1230. Cole, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, my name's Adam from Atlanta. Adam, what do you got today? Good. Uh, I enjoyed uh, I, I enjoyed all, I enjoyed all these, actually, but I enjoyed yesterday's conversation between uh, Lance and um, Pauly when they got into the, the quarterbacks being drafted, in their opinion, most of them above where they should go. And I, and I did have a question. Do you think that Daniel Jones was drafted above where he should have gone, or do you think he was right where he should have been in that top ten first round area? I, well, I think with based on pure grade, quarterbacks always get picked above where their pure grade is. It's just the way it goes. So I think Daniel Jones would be right in the mix with you know the, the Mac Jones of the world this year, in this year's draft, to be quite honest with you. I would put... Jones and Jones, not 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 to be funny, in the in the same general category. I think Daniel has better physical traits than Mac Jones, and Mac Jones obviously had better production in college, obviously better players around him. But I would put those two guys generally in that same grouping, Lance. You think that's fair, right? Well, I think you got to also go back to the draft class. It's not so much about how they compare to players that are coming into this year. It's Daniel Jones in comparison to the other quarterbacks. And Kyler Murray was the one guy that was taken before him. Okay, and then if you look at some of the quarterbacks that went after Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins now is with his second team already in a very short period of time. Drew Locke has had some flashes, but he's had his ups and downs. Okay, Will Greer had a spot start or two with Carolina. Ryan Finley didn't necessarily pan out with Cincinnati, and Jarrett Stidham in New England. And then there's really no point to me going over fifth and sixth rounders. I'd say if you want to go back to the class, Gardner Minshew maybe was the one guy that was a pleasant surprise in the sixth yeah, round. But once fair. again, 
Jacksonville's now moving in the direction of Trevor Lawrence. So my answer to the question would be, if you were to compare Daniel Jones to the rest of that quarterback draft class, I think it's fair to say he's the second guy yeah. in that group, and that's exactly pretty much where he was drafted. And by the way, I'll, I'll point this out too, Adam. I know Paul thinks mm -hmm. none of these guys are first-round picks but Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that's true. Um, okay, I, now, I have not, by the way, um, done heavy tape study on these guys because in order for me to properly study a quarterback, I need to take like an hour per guy because there's just so much to watch, right? You want to get a good feel for him. And frankly— I have so many guys I still want to catch up on that the Giants could take. I don't want to take the, I don't want to take a whole day and watch these quarterbacks and the Giants, uh, you know, aren't going to pick them, quite frankly. So I have not done deep study on these guys, but I know people that have. And I don't think people realize that, you know, when people talk about Trevor Lawrence being that number one college pro, you know, prospect in college and everything coming out of high school, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence for their entire lives have been neck and neck in that quarterback conversation, in that recruiting class, throughout their lives. They've been neck and neck. And I, I, I don't think that, I think Paul is underestimating the quality of this quarterback class. People that are former quarterbacks have called this quarterback class one of the best classes they've seen. So uh, Paul can have his opinion. That's great. And I'm not arguing with him. I haven't done the study myself, but there are a lot of people out there that do think this quarterback class is very, very strong. Well, I think the other thing that I would continually argue with Paul, and I did so on yesterday's mm -hmm. show, and he is, of course, entitled to his opinion, is all it takes is if one team is willing to take the quarterback that you really want, that's enough rationale for me to then take the quarterback. You can't risk the chance of, well, technically, he's probably going to fall to us in the second round. And then what happens if he doesn't get to you? Or what happens if he doesn't get to you later in the first round and you really love him? Then you're going to regret if he actually pans out and you didn't show that aggressiveness. So I get tired of when people say quarterbacks are overdrafted. Well, if right. it's a critical position and you love the guy, you go after well, Lance, him, period, it, and you don't ask any questions. It's the same conversation we have with free agency, right? The market's the market. You can say a guy's not worth that money, but if someone else is willing to give him that money, guess what? That's what you're going to have to pay to get him. And the point I would make to Paul, and again, I don't think it's worth it for us to have this argument and discussion, because it would go on a while, trust me. If you approach the quarterback class the way Paul did, you would never draft a quarterback, ever. Because course, someone yeah. would always pick the guy ahead of you. So you have to adjust based on position value, and quarterback is just that value of a position where you're going to have to pick them where you can get them, because that's what the market dictates. You got anything else, Adam? Yeah, I got one more thing. Um, uh, regards to the Giants and uh, Jalen Waddle, sure. um, no denying that he's immensely talented, as is Smith. But everybody keeps seems to be coming down on Smith because of his size, his one seventy, and I understand that. But yeah, if you look at the size of Jalen Waddle, five ten, under two hundred pounds, um, and the fact that NFL uh, receivers that size that have been taken lately within the last couple of years in the first round have not been able to stay healthy, that throws up a huge red flag for me for Jalen Waddle. How would you? that and rationalize him at 11. I could rationalize either Smith or Waddle at 11. I agree with you, and, and thanks for the call, Adam. i, I got to get you off here so we can get our next guest up. And I know Lance and I are on the same page on this, so you're not getting any pushback from us. I am not really that worried about Devontae Smith weighing 170 pounds. Might an injury show up? Might he get squished and break a rib or something like that? Is there enough meat on his bones? Yeah, sure. You know, Lance... Is it extra 10 pounds of muscle going to stop a guy from rolling up his ankle and spraining his ankle or from him getting his foot caught in the turf and getting rolled and tearing his ACL? Do you think that has anything to do with him being 170 pounds? It doesn't. No, I don't. Uh, Saquon Barkley was in relatively good shape, oh, and look think? what happened to him. He right? has tree trunks for legs. So, yeah, so right. it's all basically relative to the situation at hand, that if you go down awkwardly, yeah, it can happen to just about anybody. You know, I've been on the record multiple times saying Devontae Smith was extremely durable at Alabama, and that's why I'm not overly concerned. Now, granted, John, not to get completely off topic, I know we have a guest coming up, but Olivier Vernon was pretty much the picture of perfect health, right, before he signed with the Giants, and then yep. all of a sudden, he missed a lot of time. So I don't want to say as if anything's a guarantee, but if you go based on track record, it's kind of ridiculous when people poke at Devontae Smith when the guy suited up for every single game in Alabama. To, to the last caller's point, if you were to ask me based on track record, who'd be more concerning? I would say Jalen Waddle's more concerning than Devontae Smith because at least Waddle, you could point to a legitimate injury. Devontae, you can't point to an injury other than, yes, he got the 
finger injury, but that was in the very uh, last game finger, of the national championship game. Fi- finger schminger, whatever. Exactly. And, and yeah. trust me, I, he, 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 he would have figured out a way to play through that after missing about a week if he had to, if it was, you know, real deal stuff going on. Um, you know, I agree with you. You know, the old cliche is, Lance, the best predictor of future injuries is past injuries. So, and, and if you want to believe that cliche, then I'm with you. I think Waddle's a little bit more of a risk. But I do think the 5'10 guy that's a 4'3 speedster, you know, the track record's not the best. You know, whether you're talking about John Ross, right? Uh, Henry Ruggs last year. Whether you're talking about, you know, Deshaun Jackson has had injury issues throughout his career. But that being said, I think Waddle's a better player and prospect than all those guys I just mentioned. That's why I would have no problem picking Jalen Waddle there. Look, the guy got his ankle rolled up. It happens. It's it's a contact sport. I'm not going to hold that against him. He's going to be fine. If I'm choosing between the two, I'm taking Devontae Smith, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. But if Waddle's the only guy that's left out of my you know top blue chip tier, I'm going to happily take him too because Lance, to me, and this will be the last point, and, and then I'll get my caller up and you can respond or get our guest up and then you can respond. He fits so perfectly to me. You know, he does a little bit of everything. If Sterling Shepard misses a few games due to injury, which he has, right, he can go in there and play slot right away. If Darius Slayton gets injured, well, you know what? Stick Jalen Waddle outside. He can be your speed threat on the perimeter. And just putting him next to Kenny Galladay, everything Galladay can't do, Waddle does. I think he fits into the group, and so does Devontae Smith, by the way, just very, very well. Well, and then on top of that, he could also contribute on special teams, too, when you really evaluate the versatility of Jalen Waddle. So I think that point is well taken. I think it's important when you bring in a player, and this goes back to just what the Giants' philosophy has always been. And if you listen to Tyke Tolbert specifically, because if we are going down the hypothetical road of a Jalen Waddle, he would be being coached by the wide receiver coach, Tyke Tolbert. And Tolbert, every time that you speak with him, he says, I don't teach my wide receivers to just learn one position. I teach him to learn the entire playbook and meaning we may need to plug him in on the outside one game and then we may have to move him in on the inside we may use him out of the backfield so he would actually be going into the ideal system where the position coach is going to maximize his talent and expect him to know the playbook inside and out because there may be a fluctuation in terms of where they ask him to play game in and game out so I think it makes perfect sense if Jalen Waddle does come to the Giants, because I think he'd be working with a positional coach who would say, hey, we're going to tap in to your full arsenal of skills. We're not just going to utilize you to be a skilled guy on the inside. We want you to also do damage on the outside. So when you look at the fit, and I know this shouldn't be the one reason why you draft a guy, but if you're just going based on the coaching philosophy, the coaching staff, that makes Jalen Waddle even a better fit for the Giants because you know when they bring players in like that, They're going to ask them to know all of the positions on the wide receiver tree as opposed to just saying, hey, we saw you utilize this way as a senior or an underclassman at Alabama, so therefore we're just going to expect you to do that. I think that's extremely promising for a prospect like that. Yeah, and by the way, he'd be the only guy in the wide receiver core that you can just give the ball to on the wide receiver screen and he can, boom, take it 80 yards for a touchdown. They don't really have somebody that can do that. As part of the wide receiver course, Saquon Barkley certainly can, but that would be another added weapon there for sure. All right, we'll get back to your calls at the end of the show, but for now, we're going to welcome in our next guest. He covers North Texas football, and I mean Texas and football in the northern part of Texas, not just North Texas. He is Shahan Raja, and he joins us right now to talk TCU and North Texas prospects. Shahan, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in the Northeast in the New York, New Jersey. I hope you and yours are doing well. Yeah, we're doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Not, no problem. And I think uh, the good place to start here would be with TCU and start at that safety position because there are a couple pretty darn good safeties coming out of TCU this year that could be first-round picks, or at least one of them could be, and that's Trayvon Morey. We can start there. I watched his tape, probably watched around 150 plays or so of him this morning, Shahan, and really his coverage ability not just in man-to-man, but to kind of anticipate from that center field position. He seems to have all those free safety traits that town evaluators covet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that's good for people to know about TCU is that Gary Patterson over there runs a different kind of defense. He runs basically a base nickel look and, and has three sort of field safeties that he plays with. And, and Merrick is one of those guys. He came in as a cornerback or sort of primarily recruited as a cornerback, uh, but has played safety his entire time at TCU. And like you mentioned, just great coverage. 
the right place and all that sort of thing. I, I think he has good size for a free safety prospect. And, I mean, this is a guy who, for the last two years at least, and maybe even three, has, has really been the leader of TCU's defense on that back end. You know, this really is a defense that's led by its safeties in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, for TCU, safety is kind of their signature position just because of how many responsibilities that position has. I think that Mary has arguably been, you know, one of the two, three best safeties that Gary Patterson has ever had. And, and I think he's very much deserving of being considered as a first-round draft pick. Well, I want to take it a next step up, John, in terms of the NFL level. You just spoke very highly of his versatility, and I don't think there's any doubt about that if you turn on the film and you also look at his production. But if an NFL team said, hey, instead of him being a jack-of-all-trades player, we specifically want him to focus on one spot, whether it be high safety, whether it be down in the slot, where do you think they could truly maximize his potential if they had to focus in on one spot on the NFL level? I think that probably at high safety, uh, just because of his ability to move, his ability to you know get to the spot, his ability also to read offenses, he does that at a really high level. I, I think that that just gives him so much ability to be able to uh, to kind of play all over the field. You know, he definitely has that ability to cover slot players. He definitely even I think has the ability to play a little bit closer to the box. But but I think that. You know, when you put him in that high safety role and you let him kind of read the field, I, I think he's just going to unlock a whole lot of his game. Okay, let's jump over to his teammate, Ardarius. Uh, he's now he's one of Lance's guys now, and the reason you know Lance loves him because he's five eight, but he packs a punch, <laughs> which is what which is what Lance loves. Um, you know, he's the guy when you watch him. You know, Morig is just so consistent and solid as a coverage guy, but I feel like Washington kind of likes to lower the boom a little bit, despite the fact he's just 5'8", 176 pounds. Can you just talk about how he plays maybe a little bit bigger than that size and the way he approaches the game? Yeah, and, and I think that that's exactly the phrase to use. He plays a lot bigger than his size, and he's a very quick player. He has great closing speed. Uh, you know, that's one of the things, right? I mean, you have these two guys playing in the backfield, and, I mean, this is this is as good of a safety combo, I think, as there was in college football all of last year. And uh, he has great coverage ability. He moves very, very well. I mean, again, at that size, obviously, you kind of have to be able to move, and he definitely fits the bill on that front. Uh, you know, he was, I, I think, two years ago rated the top safety by pro football focus in all of college football. I mean, this is a guy who just plays the position at a really high level. Now, again, I think that going to the NFL, yes, you know, he plays bigger than his size. I, I think that certainly his size is going to scare some teams off, especially since, you know, they didn't necessarily get to see him do drills and all that at the combine the same way, you know, because pro days is a little different. But uh, but I think that Ardarius Washington is definitely the kind of player going to find his role in the in the league I, I think that at minimum he's going to be a tremendous tremendous special teams player right off the bat uh, and, and yeah I definitely think that he has the potential to go into a starting type player I was looking at his statistics Shahan team best five interceptions in 2019 he had none in 2020 clearly this past season was very unique I think that goes without saying but as opposed to arguing, well, takeaways are somewhat fluky, which I would say sometimes it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right position and they come in bunches. It is notable when somebody's very opportunistic one season and then it almost completely disappears the following season. I'm just curious, is there anything to read into the fact that he didn't have the same number of takeaways, didn't seem like he was as active in the box score as he was in 2019? I wouldn't read too much into it personally. You know, for me, I, I think that one of the things that you really have to look at uh, going from last year to this year is last year, you know, TCU had some very experienced cornerbacks. Jeff Gladney was a first-round NFL draft pick by the Minnesota Vikings from TCU. So, you know, he was getting thrown at a lot more last year because not that he was a weak point by any means on that defense, but he was the less experienced point on that defense. We got targeted a bit more. This year, TCU's running out two underclassmen, uh, sorry, cornerbacks, rather. Uh, and, you know, so they were more targeted a little bit more than that. They have some young guys out there. Uh, and really, I mean, I think that you kind of saw throughout the season that teams just knew better than throwing in his direction, knew better than throwing in Merrick's direction. And this defense and this secondary especially was very, very good. But, uh, you know, I think that as the season went on, they just didn't throw the same sort of things at him that they did maybe the year before. You know, maybe opting instead to kind of attack TC's front seven a little bit. It was a little bit weaker than maybe in years past. So I wouldn't read too much into it. I think that it's just the conduct of the game change. Quick two-parter, and then we can move on to somebody else here. 
Shahan, one, one thing I did notice, I thought maybe his aggressive style, sometimes it got the best of him sometimes on some bad angles on some tackles and things of that nature, biting on a pump fake here or there. And number two, are you surprised that he decided to come out after just two years of college football? I think that after last year and being graded so highly, I, I think that he felt like his time was coming up. And the one thing that I'll say, right, because I think you're right, I, I think that he did tend to bite a little bit because he is such an aggressive player. I, I do think that probably in his mind he feels like, I've shown what I can show at the college level. Now, we can argue that, right? I mean, I think that obviously he's kind of the star of that TCU defense, which he would have been in 2021 if he had come back. You know, maybe he's able to raise his draft stock a little bit. But, I mean, the, a lot of the concerns would still be there about his size and all that sort of thing. So I think that he kind of just decided now is the time. Obviously, this past year was a difficult year for all sorts of players and, uh, you know, just in terms of the COVID situation and, and having to live through all of that. So he might have just decided now was time. And obviously he's going to get drafted, you know, relatively middle round or higher. So I, I think that maybe just thought that his draft stock was about as high as he felt like it was going to get. But I definitely think that you're right. Um, you know, he has to clean up some of those parts of his game. But I, I think that that's something that's going to happen when he gets to the NFL. John, I think if there's another notable defensive player, at least somebody that has an opportunity to maybe latch on with an NFL team, it would be linebacker Garrett Wallow, who was a big-time tackler in terms of his numbers, led the Big 12 in tackles in 2019 and seems to have been very aggressive when given the opportunity. Also played a lot of special team snaps from what I've seen. Is he just your typical inside linebacker that hopefully he'll carve out a role in the middle and teams will utilize him on first and second down? Or is there more to his game? Because it doesn't seem like he was asked to drop back in coverage or at least thrive in that role. Yeah, I think that one thing that's interesting to note about him is that when he was recruited, he was recruited as a safety. So this is a guy who, when he came into TCU, they thought that he might have the ability to do some of that. And we didn't get to see a whole lot of that. He primarily played downhill. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, some being obviously that TCU secondary was so good. Uh, and also that their front seven, you know, wasn't always the best. And, uh, you know, one thing, again, to, to go back to Gary Patterson defenses is that they are built around that's really the biggest thing. They bring in, uh, you know, guys at safety who then they move down to linebacker like they did with Wallow. That's a pretty common thing that they do because Gary Patterson wants them to be able to do both. So I think that we didn't see a whole lot of uh, Wallow as a coverage player because he was asked to be so aggressive, kind of coming downhill, filling in some of those gaps because of deficiencies in the defensive line. Again, we didn't see it. I, I feel like he probably has more coverage ability than he showed just because of his background but uh, but you know I think that early in his career like you said I mean a, a guy who's going to be a very good special teams player uh, and somebody who yes I think can step in right away and fit sort of that standard inside linebacker role on first and second down I think that it's there for him to be more than that but but we certainly haven't seen it in a while final one on TCU here anybody that we haven't talked to you about that we should be talking to you about as someone that's very close to the program that you think has more NFL potential than maybe some of these draft analysts are giving credit to you know that's tough uh I'd say that those are the three guys who I really expect uh you know TCU just has so much coming back uh this this upcoming year you know I mean a lot of teams do obviously but I think that those are the three guys, and, and you really look on defense, right? That's really where TC makes their hay. Uh, those are the guys who have been the leaders of the defense the last two years, and, and with Wallow and with Merrick, even longer than that. So, I mean, those would be the three guys that I'd really keep an eye on. I, I mean, there's certainly going to be some other guys who maybe have a chance to, uh, to you know, maybe get end up in camp. But, I mean, really, with so much coming back for TC, I think that maybe we're a year away from having another big class. You know, Shahan, I'm disappointed. you got a guy coming out named Pro Wells, and you're telling me he's not pro. Come on! <laughs> Man, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. Dad joke, sorry. The tight end, yes, for TCU. Yes. John called yeah. him out here on April 14th, people. So if he winds up getting selected, you'll know why. We'll be able to refer back to that punchline. On a more serious note, Shahan, as we return to planet Earth here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, let's jump to North Texas. And really, one player of note, that's, of course, wide receiver Jalen Darden, who is a small guy but a lot of speed and a lot of production. I think what's probably most notable is the fact that only Devontae Smith and Amari Rogers had more yards after the catch in 2020 than darted. So I think that speaks very highly of him. But where do you think perhaps the shortcomings come back to bite him at all in terms of the contested catches and also the 15 drops over the last two seasons, I would say is a little bit concerning. 
Look, I, I think that for me, uh, the first thing that I'll say about Jalen Darden is that take the Devontae Smith scouting report and, and basically copy and paste. I mean, that's what this kid was for the last several years for North Texas. And look, I mean, I understand for sure that the drops potentially being something to look at, but I, I think one thing to note is that TC, I'm not TC, North Texas, they forced the ball to him it just in crazy ways for a slot receiver. I mean, they, they moved him all over the field. They played him inside and outside. They moved him left and right. It did not matter. They were doing anything possible to get him the ball. And, you know, I think that people who kind of know college football a little bit, you know, they know North Texas as a team that passes the ball at a high level, you know, kind of that air based offense. But last year was not their usual passing game. Uh, you know, their quarterbacks ended up uh, completing only about 54% of their passes. And, you look at passes that were targeted at Jalen Darden, it was more like 68% of their passes and everybody else was like 46% of their passes. So this was a guy who managed to get open no matter who was covering him, no matter which team he played against, because he did it against some of the bigger schools as well. I, I mean, this, this kid's a freak. I mean, this kid is as good of a receiver as I feel like I've seen in the past several years in Texas. And so, you know, you, you talk about deficiencies. I mean, look, you only have to do it a couple times against the bigger competition, against the elite cornerbacks, against, you know, that kind of guy. You know, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment process, I think, to do that every single week against NFL cornerbacks, NFL safeties, NFL linebackers. But I think it's certainly there for him. And, you know, he is definitely a smaller guy. Again, like I said, you, you kind of take that Devontae scouting report and you kind of copy it because, you know, he's a slender guy, he's a smaller guy. He did handle press coverage probably a little worse than Devontae Smith, but not a lot worse. I mean, he's not going to be a guy who necessarily gets all the way out of position. So, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment from a strength perspective, I think, getting to the NFL. But all those skills are there. And this is a guy who just knows the position of wide receiver as well as any player that I've covered. So I, I definitely think that he's somebody who, you know, again, he's not going to be a first-round receiver, but you start looking into those middle rounds. I mean, he's going to be a steal for somebody. Very quick follow-up, a two-parter. One, a guy this size with that speed screams punt returner to me. Tell me about his returnability. And just back to your point you made about going up against bigger competition. Were there some moments that he had against bigger schools and, and better cornerbacks that stick out to you following his career that makes you think he can bring that same ability and production to a higher level? Yeah, so uh, to start off with the punt return stuff, uh, yeah, I mean, so he – definitely did a lot of return stuff early in his career. They kind of limited that stuff later, which, which makes a lot of sense, obviously, just in terms of, uh, you know, just in terms of his ability to, uh, you know, be on the field more for, for all that sort of stuff. But he was a guy who was a dynamic returner for them at, at times, and I think we'll definitely do that in the pros. You know, in terms of bigger games, uh, you know, he played against SMU every year, which I know that's not a power team, but uh, that's a team that they play against every year. And, I mean, he dominated them. I mean, he really, really – you know, went out and did some good things against some guys, uh, you know, who transferred even down from Power 5 level, guys like Brandon Stevens, from, who was a UCLA kid who has a chance to get drafted, and, you know, some other kids like that. So even when they played against the better teams, you know, he had an opportunity to, to make something happen. I, and so I think that he's going to definitely need some adjustments when he gets to the league, but, but I think that he definitely is going to be able to do it. All right. We appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks so much for being with us. It was a pleasure talking to you, and we'll talk to you down the road uh, as we get some more prospects coming out next year. Thanks, Jahan. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's Jahan Jiraja. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We thank him giving us the lowdown on North Texas and TCU, and that means we have an open line at 973-667-1960. Get on the phones, give us a call, and we could chat with you for the final 10 or so minutes of the program. Lance, I had to let you ask the first question about Darden. I mean, we had, an, we had a 5'8 and a 5'7 yeah. guy on this show. This was like the Lance Meadows special. All we need is Trendon Holiday to call into the show, and we'll be in great shape. Well, Trendon Holiday will always have a very special place in my heart. Uh, unfortunately, nobody else could match. And he <laughs> never, unfortunately, blossomed into his true potential with the Giants because the career ended pretty much just as it started with that nagging hamstring injury. So that's a pretty sore subject that we try not to bring up as much as possible on this program. But yes, there are a few guys that meet the requirements in terms of the characteristics that uh, would put them on my all-time watch list, I guess it's fair to say. Oh, and I do like yes. Darden. I guess, you know, once again, it's just a matter of what are you asking Darden to do on the NFL level? And I think that's a big question that you pretty much have to ask yourself with a lot of these prospects. 
Are you going to ask him to play out of the slot? Are you going to ask him to go deep? Is he going to have to win the jump balls with the bigger corners that Shahan was pointing out? Because if you play to his strengths and you allow him to utilize his speed, I don't doubt that he could be a playmaker on the NFL level. But if you're expecting him to be the big playmaker and the savior and the guy that's going to have to outjump and outshine the number one corner on the opposite team, I don't know necessarily if you're putting him in the best position to thrive under those circumstances. Yeah, Lanzano, you get to day three. On day three, you're not going to get the six foot one, two hundred ten pound wide receiver that runs a four four two. Those guys are all gone. So the whole point is on day three, you find guys that have a skill set that you like, but maybe they have some traits or some background or off the field stuff or injury history that doesn't make them day one or two picks, right? And then you bank on those traits to say, "Ooh, I think I can," you know work around this guy's deficiencies, whatever they might be, and still have a really good football player. And I think, you know, Washington has a chance to go in round three, but I think Darden's a great example because mostly because it's such a deep wide receiver class, right? Where a guy like that, if you can find a way to utilize him despite that size, he's like that perfect day three pick where you say, I have specific ways I can take advantage of his skill set. He can help me as a return man. And that those are the types of players that I think teams should try to find on that third day where the obvious talent is gone that slip through the clack sometimes because of things that these players have learned to overcome but might scare off the scouts a little bit. Well, and he could always start out as a return man, especially if a team that drafts him already has some depth at wide receiver, and then little by little, he branches out into somebody that could carve a role out as a slot guy or whatever it may be based on your needs. There's always room for that spark plug on offense who maybe you have a small group of plays, you bring him along as a rookie, and then as you lose a free agent, you give him more and more playing time. I could see him being that type of a guy. We've seen that. As, as far as our Darius Washington is concerned, I would think any team that drafts him probably is going to say will look at him as a nickel as opposed to a safety. So I would think that if you want him to thrive at the next level, you need to convince yourself that he can handle himself at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, That, to me, I think is the big question. And I don't know if TCU exposed him enough to that yeah, on good, film. Good question. Where teams can walk away feeling good about that. That, I think, is probably the biggest question mark looming over him. I love him as a gunner, though. The way he's going yeah. full speed. Oh, man. I, and by the way, Darter ran a 4-4-6 40-yard dash on his pro day. So that's that speed in a ridiculous 6-6-7 three-cone drill, which is that shifty slot change of direction stuff that people really love. So... Stuff to take, uh, keep in mind here as we move forward. Hey, Giant fans, get a near Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. All right, let's go back to the phones. We'll try to squeeze in a couple of callers here. Call, you're on the line. What is your name and where are you calling from? Hey, guys. Len from Columbia, Maryland. Len, how are you, bud? Good, good, good. Hey, you guys are doing a great job on the draft. Great coverage. Thank you. Um, you know, these names are starting to fall into place now, uh, you know, and I'm, I've got some ideas about different guys that you guys have brought up and then some of your guests, terrific guests. And Lynn, by the guests. way, I, I do hope you're also checking out the guests we're getting on the Giants huddle because we've gotten a lot of really good draft interviews yes. on that. So make, yes, I have so been make following sure you check that. that out. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great offseason. And I think uh, that's, that's my segue into the, the Giants, who I think, I, I wouldn't put the word great on them, but I, I think they've had a really good offseason so far, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that things work out here in the draft. Um, you, you know, I think we're a better team. You look at the roster, uh, I, I know Mr. Mara in his um, interview with Ian O'Connor, that's been referred to a couple of times on the show, uh, he made a statement where he thought the roster was good enough to make the playoffs, and um yeah, <laughs> and it's even better today than it was when he made that statement. Yeah, and Len, by, by the way, Len, you know, we are, we're very cautious about saying those things. I know you said you were more enthusiastic last year with the roster than we were, but now with the additions they've made and with the young guys continuing to grow, this is a roster that should be right in the mix for playoffs. Oh, it should be right yep, there. absolutely. It's just right there, and, and, it, and guys, it can't come soon enough. <laughs> can't come soon enough. Listen, you guys were very positive about the young man Darden from North Texas, you gave him any, every single benefit of the doubt to get to be a third-round draft pick, a third-day draft pick, and good for him. I hope it works out for him. But you, you, you would, you know, the reference to Smith and then applying it to the number 11 in the draft, 
I mean, we we can't draft Smith at eleven. Why not, John? The wait. I mean, Len, come on, Len. Do you think He's Marvin? Right, he, Len, Len, Len. Listen. Yeah, do, you, do you think yeah. Marvin Harrison and Isaac Bruce had good NFL careers? John, how many years are you going back now? I mean, you're looking. You 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 you're looking in a in a pile of over ten thousand players, and you're picking two. Yeah, but Len, how, but Len, how many college receivers had the production that Devontae Smith did at 170 pounds? That is not a pile of thousands of wide receivers. That's a pile of about three. In my opinion, John, he's not a three-down player. Oof. He's just he's just not. I mean, not at that weight. The wear and tear is going to be— Now, look, I will say this, Len. If you're that concerned about his run blocking that you're going to take him off the field, that's fine. I get <laughs> okay. it. Okay. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> How okay. about that? I don't care. Okay. 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 All right. I, I get your point, and, and I understand where you are on that. And, and let me just say, um, I don't want them to pick Smith at well, 11. And that's if fair. he's there. I if he's there. So, I don't care. So you know, Len, he he may would, not be there, but I'd say good. You would, you would be okay with taking Waddle in that spot, though? Um, and I wanted, to fo- I wanted to follow up on that. I, I know last weekend they did this big physical thing, you know, checking out um, – Guys, injuries somewhere in the country. Are you are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. They, they had the follow up. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, what they yeah. normally do at the combine. And then they actually yeah. did it at Indianapolis too. So yeah. yeah, okay. Now, did we hear anything about Waddle? What's what's going on with the foot? I mean, they, they have we haven't really heard much noise okay. off of okay. those tests. But Len, the guy was almost ready to play for the national championship game. That was three yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I, I, I got, got in I a got little it, bit. I mean, I he didn't look great in that game, but he did play. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, Lance. You're, you're correct on that. I, I think, um, I, I think we teams would still like to know that that foot's okay and it's not going to require surgery. Sure. And, well, and I so, think anybody so the, who's considering you know, so drafting him, it's a no-brainer. I, I got him on my list. I got Waddle on my list. And, and here's here's what I want to ask you. I got four guys. Um, and by, and, and Len, by the way, really quickly, it was an ankle injury, and Waddle already had surgery on that ankle, so it was surgically repaired. So he's not going to have to have another okay. surgery on it. Just FYI. Okay. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, we our medical staff gave him clearance. And I was just wondering yeah, if, no, you, I, I if you. you knew anything. But I, I understand that you don't. I right. mean that. I mean, I'm sure information is very tough to come by uh, on guys coming out of there, except for the teams, except for the teams themselves. Um, I, I'm going to give you four guys um, that I think are going to be there. Smith may be there, but he's not on my list, okay? But I'm going to give you four guys. And Waddle is one of them, and I'm, I'm hoping the injury is not a concern. Um, um, uh, God, where, where's my hair? Where, where's my list now? I can't believe I don't Oh, here we go. Waddle, Vera Tucker, Olajari, and Horn. You don't Could have you either. Could you, you rank them? Can you rank them for me? Are you just assuming that the two offensive linemen and Sultan yes. are not going to be there? Yes. Okay, yes. I got you. That's fair enough. Um, well, and Micah Parsons too. Are you assuming he's not going to be there as well? I, I don't want to touch. I, I, okay. I'm, I'm discounting Parsons. I don't want any part okay. of Parsons. That's fair. Okay, so it was Waddle, Ojolari, Vera Tucker. Who's the fourth guy? Horn. Uh, Horn. Horn. Yeah, Jay Z Horn. Oh boy. Um, I would like to get somebody better than that group. By the way, just yeah. just for the record, um, <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would well, go, I would too. I, I, you know, I'd like to see Chase there, and I'd, you know, I would. Well, I, I don't know about that, but well, he's not going <laughs> to. I mean, there yeah. are guys who are just not going right. to be there. I would I, go. I, I would go Waddle first, Len, and it wouldn't. Yeah. And it wouldn't really be that close for me. Second, I would go J.C. Horn. Okay. Third, I would go. Oh boy. Um. Well, we can. We can third, we can I would go. Third, I would probably go Ojolari and fourth okay. Barrett Tucker. All right. All right, two How about you? Well, I agree with do? the first guy for sure. Um, yeah, Waddle would be my number one choice. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think so. A, a yeah, it would have to be Waddle, and I mean, you're talking three down players. You know, you're talking four down players. <laughs> probably going to return kicks. So that would that that would be a great pick. I, I guess you know the point with Waddle and even the other guys. I mean, there there are going to there's going to be a football player here who can move us forward. And help this team out, and I'm, I'm, you know, really pleased with that. Um, would you be surprised if X Man and Carter were on the pup list going into preseason, the preseason pup list? And, and would that influence if if you know something now about those two guys injury wise? I don't. I don't know anything about either no, no, of those I, two guys. Okay, I but, figured you wouldn't. I'm just so hypothetically. If you did, would that alter? 
if they do, if the Giants do, would would that alter your your draft, guys? No, I I think Edge is a need, whether or not those guys are going to be on pup or not. Lance, what yeah. do you think? Plus, you can't guarantee me that both of those guys are going to be able to play all sixteen games anyway. Well, true. So, um, even and- if the, right now, if the Giants got great medical reports from both of those players, you still yeah. can't guarantee me, Len, that all of them are going to be on the field for 16 games. And neither one of those guys well, has proven they can be a consistent pass well, rusher anyway. That, that's another thing. But yeah. as far yeah. as the chances of them being on PUP, I mean, if you just look at it from a time standpoint, Lorenzo Carter got hurt in the first Cowboys game. What was that, yes. week five? Yes. Week and he five. tore his Achilles. So, I mean, yes. he pretty much had the majority of the season, and then he's going to have months after that. And the preseason we're talking about is August. So I would say there's a very good chance that he'll hopefully be able to do some activity. And then Zimenez got hurt a little bit later and then elected even after that to get surgery. So Carter, my point is, is probably further ahead of the curve in the recovery. But Carter had a more serious injury than Zimenez. Yep. If you want to look at it from that standpoint. Yeah. Okay. I'm a little surprised the way you answered it, but I I certainly accept that. But let me let me try. Let me get a little dig in. Um, there's no guarantee that Smith will play 16 games either. Sure. Smith okay. as in who? You're talking about Devontae Smith. Yeah, but Devontae yeah, yeah, Smith, Devontae. at least based on his current track record, there are more question marks connected to Zimenez and Cotter because they're physically coming off notable injuries compared to Devontae Smith, who you could be concerned about his body weight. I get that, Len. But yeah. when you look at his box score, the guy was there for double-digit games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you, you know, you look around the NFL, there's probably going to be, uh, before the season's over, and I'm just going to, uh, there's going to be 2,500 guys on rosters. I didn't count, you know, coming up for the season. 2,500 guys. How many of those guys do you think are going to weigh less than 170 pounds? Oh, probably like under 5%. Oh my God! Even yeah, more. yeah. I mean, honestly, you can, probably you won't under two percent. All your fingers, all your fingers, no, you're, probably, no, no, you're 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 probably right. No argument. Well, okay. he's also a rare player, though. Too thank you, Lenny. We got to okay. run. Yeah, thank you, know? you. Bye. I think you got to look at it from that standpoint. The other thing that I'm not too fond of is comparing him to Darden simply because of the similar height yeah. or makeup. No, no, no. Because Devontae Smith was challenged against far more stiffer competition. The best competition. Correct, compared to Darden. So if Devontae Smith could do that consistently against the best corners who are ready to make the next step to the NFL— then I don't think it's fair to then say, oh, well, look at Darden. I mean, Darden was at North Texas. We're talking about Devontae Smith was the Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama. I think the transition (laughs) is not that big of a jump compared to what you would be anticipating out of Darden because he wasn't as tested consistently game in and game out. All right, and I'll just say this before you say goodbye because we got to run. But for me, if you watch Devontae Smith on tape, Lance, there is nothing that shows up watching his game film that makes you worry about him being 170 pounds. He doesn't get banged around. He gets good releases off the line. Now, were there a couple times this year where he maybe got banged up, you know, you know, pushed out of bounds or something like that? Does he struggle a little bit run blocking at 170 pounds? Sure, that's true. But as a receiver, guys had trouble getting their hands on him. And you know in the NFL lands, you can stack receivers now. You can put them in motion where guys sure. aren't going to be able to get up there and press him. There's nothing on tape to make you think that's going to hold back his quality of play as a wide receiver. If you're worried about his durability, I understand that concern. But to your point, he the guy has simply stayed healthy. And again, lower leg injuries has nothing to do with your body weight. Zero. 0.0. So that means you're worried about things like his clavicle and his shoulder and his ribs and maybe his hips because... I don't care how skinny your legs are. That's not going to stop you from getting a you know big. I don't care how big your legs are. It's not going to stop you from popping an ACL like you mentioned with Saquon earlier. So, you know that's the way I look at Smith. If you're going to worry about his injuries, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. That is not enough of a concern for me to take him out of my blue chip prospect list. Yeah, and also once again, I'm going to say it for the 95th time. <laughs> I I don't understand how people can watch what he did at Alabama and still be overly concerned about the injury. If he was being hurt every single other year and he played only nine games and eight games, I can understand you'd sure. be worried because John, if he can't even hold up in college, 
What do you think is going to happen in the NFL? But here's an example of a player that did hold up in college. So, yes, he could break his clavicle. I don't wish that upon anybody, but I don't think that's necessarily a reflection. Oh, here we told you so because he was 170 pounds. No, that could have been, hey, you know what? Any defensive lineman you throw on top of a wide receiver, yeah, he's probably going to get the better of him, especially if the guy underneath him is only 170 pounds. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. Tomorrow, it'll be Detino and Fiegels. And then on Friday, folks, Lance, Paul, and I have our first mock draft of the year. Get it going. Get it ready. Paul won't draft one quarterback in the whole first round. It'll be great. <laughs> and Lance and I'll take all the quarterbacks. It's fine. Absolutely. So make sure you check that out and go check out the Giants Huddle Podcast. I mentioned it earlier. We've had some great NFL guests come on. Uh, the one with Lewis Riddick. From Monday Night Football, ESPN, he was very generous, gave us 20 minutes of his time yesterday. So make sure you guys go check that out. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you for being with us for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our shows, including the Giants Huddle Podcast, at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and at your favorite podcast platforms. And fans, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2020. 21 is a giant sweet partner. Limited full season locations are available or place the deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit giants.com slash suites for more information. For Meadow, I'm Schmelk. The, that back stretch is coming. Buckle up. NFL draft on its way. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live.